He is going to uh, be speaking with us today, and uh, it's nice to have his parents, uh, John and Susan. Remember that correctly? Good. They're here, and they're hoping to be able to get back to St. Louis, but uh, New Jersey's not so bad in all the snow, right? So um, if you would give Ben your attention this morning, uh, if, and before we do that, if, would you just join me? Let's, let's pray for Ben this morning. God, I thank you for this young man and for his willingness to serve you. I thank you for the, the things he's learning and the way he's being challenged. And God, I, I thank you for the word and how it's spoken to him. And Father, I pray that it will speak to us as well. Open our hearts and our minds and allow us to see you revealed through your word. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey guys, how's it going? Are you all doing all well this morning? You staying warm? Me either. It's going to be bad, and it's going to get even worse, which is a bummer. I don't know what to do about it. I moved to Texas after high school thinking I was done with winter, and then God has a funny sense of humor and brought me back to this business. So, you know, that kind of stuff happens. But yeah, I'm very, very grateful to be here with y'all. I think, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be good. So, the past couple of weeks, Craig's been leading us through a series on parenting. And can I confess something to you? It looks hard. Like, parenting looks really, really hard. I don't know how y'all do it. Like, I want to go steal a gold medal and give it to each and every one of you. There should be Olympics for that, because it's difficult. Kids, kids are crazy, and, and, and they're messy. And they're messy because life is messy. Can, can we just agree, uh, can we all agree on that? Life is messy. And me, I I know that I've always been a very, very messy person. Now, when I was a kid, I loved action figures a lot. And I would play with them a lot. And and I would stage these these little battles in my room. And it would be like World War III. And I would have the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fighting the Transformers. And Hulk Hogan and The Rock, they were going to fight the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it, it was crazy. It was, it was pretty hardcore. And, and these battles would be going on around me, and I would just toss these guys around my room. And my room would be a war zone. It'd be a mess. And I existed in it. I, I lived in my mess. I got used to it. And as I got older, the, the messiness kind of stayed the same, that... The action figures became CD cases, and books, and clothes, and, 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 and guitar cables, and I would just throw these things around my room. I, I called it organized chaos. My mom, she called it a disaster, but, but for me, for me it was manageable. To the point where I didn't even realize that I was living in a mess. And when I finally did, when I finally realized what I had done, I... I didn't know how to clean it up. The mess would just pile up higher and, and higher and, and higher, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to begin. And that's a trap we can all fall into, right? Life keeps moving. It moves fast. The, the, the days fly by. And then the weeks, and then the months, and before we know it, we look around, and, and it's March. And we find ourselves in a mess. We make decisions that we shouldn't. 
We, we make mistakes without thinking. We, we don't slow down to truly appreciate our loved ones. We miss important family gatherings. We succumb to addiction. We live in our mess. And we don't know what to do. We, we don't know how to clean it up. We don't even know where to begin. Well, as followers of Jesus, as, as this crazy group of people called Christians, we worship a God that cleans up messes, a God of resurrection, a God of life, of, of new hope. And scripture shows us how this God, how he meets us in our messes. So why don't we turn there today and see what God has to say to us. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. That's where we're going to be. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. The words will be behind me like they are right now. Good job, Joanna. But... Um, it's th- this translation comes from the English Standard Version, which is a little bit different than the NIV in front of you, but I think it'll be okay. So, read along with me. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. All right. So there's a lot going on with this passage. There's a, there's a tax collector named Levi. There's a group of people called sinners. There's the scribes and the Pharisees. Frankly, there's a bunch of different people all living in a mess. And then there's Jesus. So why don't we pray, and then we'll look at how Jesus meets them in their mess, and and we'll see what it means for us. Pray with me. God, I'm asking you right now to show up and to do what only you can do, to, to meet with us in this space, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you'll make these words that are about to be said a new word for us, God, that it'll penetrate our hearts, and that you'll begin to change us, that 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 you'll begin to teach us just a little bit more what it means to be disciples, what it means to be Christians, what it means to follow after Jesus. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're here with us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so one of my all-time favorite thinkers is a guy named N.T. Wright. And he has this phrase that he uses when you read the New Testament. He says that you need to put on your first century goggles, that, that you should try to read the text in its historical context and see as best as you can what the words would have meant to the original readers, to put yourselves in their shoes. So why don't we take a minute and I'll put on our first century goggles and, and we'll see what these words would have meant to the first Christians. 
Well, first, there's Levi. And Levi's a tax collector. Now, it's, it's safe to say that nobody likes taxes. It's tax season, right? And that's no fun. We, we like our money. We don't like people taking it from us. But to some extent, we know it's necessary. And in the system of government that we have, it has to happen. Well, when we look at taxes and tax collectors with our first century goggles on, it is a whole new ball game. Because these, these people, these tax collectors, they had a special place in society. They had a special place at the hypothetical table, and, and it wasn't a seat of honor. It was a seat of dishonor. These, these guys' pictures were high up on the wall of shame. Now, the Roman Empire, it, it consisted of Rome and all these other conquered regions, and, and the regions of Galilee and Judea, where, where Jesus operated, those were two of these. But the empire was really, really big. And it would have been impossible for Caesar to rule the entire place by himself. So what he would do is he would set up puppet kings and governors to, to rule in his place. And famous New Testament names like Herod the Great and Pontius Pilate and Herod Antipas, they were, they were some of these figures. And these leaders got the power, they got the authority to do anything they wanted. They were set. They could pretty much do anything as long as they followed two rules. They had to keep the peace. They had to make sure that no one was going to lead a, a rebellion against Rome, and they had to pay taxes. They had to pay tribute to Caesar. So what they would do is these puppet kings, they would choose collectors from among the people to go around and take the money. So let's say that Herod wanted the tax collector to collect $20. Well, the tax collector, he'd start thinking to himself. He'd go, hmm, how can I get something out of this? How can I get a little something for me? And he figured out pretty quickly that whatever he got in addition to what Herod wanted, he could keep. So let's say Herod asked for $20, and the tax collector, he would ask for $30, or $35, or, or $50, or maybe even 100 and he would give Herod the 20 and keep a nice little something on the side. And guys, it goes without saying, these people were hated, absolutely hated. If the Beatles were around then, the song Tax Man would have needed a parental advisory sticker. And the Jewish people, the ones being exploited... They saw these collectors as liars and cheats because they were taking their livelihood. Often, these Jewish people, they're living day to day, meal to meal. They, they barely had enough money to feed themselves. And then these tax collectors would come working for the Romans, working for the enemy, and literally take money out of their pockets, steal food from them. They, they were traitors. They were in cahoots with the very people that had conquered them. And Levi, he was one of these people. He was one of these tax collectors. And the Jewish people, they wanted nothing to do with him. They, they didn't want to speak to him. They didn't want to be around him. They, they probably didn't even want to look at him as a tax collector. Levi was knee deep in a pretty big mess. He was making poor decisions that had 
terrible consequences on him and everyone around him, like, like us at times, who couldn't find a way out of the chaos. But then something amazing happens. Jesus enters Levi's story. Jesus, as, as, as he's walking around Galilee, he looks and he notices Levi. One of the hated people. One of the outcasts. And he looks at him. And he speaks. He says, follow me. And we don't know what was going through Levi's head at that point, but we can probably guess what he was thinking before Jesus spoke to him. He knew what he was doing to his people. He knew how dishonest he was being to his own countrymen, to his own neighbors. And maybe he felt guilt. Maybe he felt shame, or, or, or maybe he liked it. Maybe he enjoyed the perks. We, we just don't know. But we know two things. Jesus called, and Levi went. The text says that Levi got up from the booth and followed after Jesus. Can, can you all imagine what it was like, what that would have felt like for him? For somebody despised and hated to be noticed by Jesus? You see... In these messes that we find ourselves in, in these bad decisions that we make, in the mistakes that seem to slap us in the face, in the regrets and the shame and, and, and the guilt that knocks the wind out of us, Jesus calls out to us. Like Levi, he sees us in our mess and he says two beautiful words, follow me. He invites us to do life with him. But what does that mean? How does this invitation to follow Jesus impact the messes that we all find ourselves in? Well, verse 15 gives us a good place to start. It says, And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So after the invitation to follow, Jesus went over to Levi's house and they had a meal. And, and, and he brought his disciples and they ate with Levi and all of Levi's friends. And y'all, here's another instance where we need to put on our first century goggles to realize how cool this is. Because in the first century, meals were a really, really big deal. You, you didn't just eat with anyone. You see, their culture, it was a little bit like middle school. Now, I know middle school was a long time ago for some of you, or maybe it was a couple years ago, or maybe you're in the thick of it, or, or somewhere in between, but I think we can all agree that there is something absolutely terrifying about a junior high cafeteria. It is one of the scariest places on planet Earth, right? Think about it. You show up, you're a new sixth grader, you have your tray of food, you look around, and everybody's bigger than you. Everybody. And, and, and there seems to be these cliques and, and these tables with, with assigned seats and, and, and there isn't a place for you. And that doesn't feel very good. But as the weeks go on, you make some friends. You, you form your own group. You, you, you find your place at the table. You have people to eat with. And more often than not, there are some very clear they're unwritten, but they're clear and established rules about who eats with whom. 
and the kids that are higher up on the totem pole, for whatever reason, they don't eat with the people that are below them. Doing so would be crazy. It, it would affect their image. It would make them uncool. In the first century world, Levi's world, it was exactly the same way. People that obtained some sort of social status, people that were cool, people on the inside, they, they didn't eat with the people below them. They wanted nothing to do with those people. They, they wanted nothing to do with the outcasts. Hanging out with them, hanging out with the nobodies, the people that everyone hated, it would screw up their social position. And that's why what Jesus did was crazy. It, it was insane for someone like Jesus, a, a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, a, a pretty big deal back then to hang out with a tax collector, let alone his friends, to, to eat with sinners. Guys, that was nuts. It, it went against every established social norm of the first century. But that's what Jesus did. Can you imagine how crazy that was for Levi? Can, can you imagine what was going through the head of this tax collector? The, this guy that was at the very bottom of the totem pole, the, the lowest of the low? Wait, hold on. He, he wants to do what? He wants to eat with me? With, with me at, at my house? He wants to hang out with my friends? No one wants to hang out with my friends. He wants to share the table with, with us? You see, when Jesus did this, when Jesus ate with Levi and his friends, he sent a very clear message to them and everyone that was around at the time. He told them that they mattered. Despite their mess, despite their brokenness, Levi and his friends mattered. They they had a worth. They mattered to him. They, they mattered to God. Inviting them to the table gave them value. And this same Jesus meets us in our messes. This same Jesus calls out to us. He invites us to the table and he tells us that we have worth. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what choices you're swimming through, no matter what waves are raging on around you, you're valuable. You're, you're valuable to God. He sees you, and he cares, and he loves, and he offers you grace. That's, that's the great thing about the God of Christianity, is that there's grace. Abundant and never-ending and always there grace, no matter the mess. There's Jesus. There's this God inviting you out of the chaos and into relationship with him, to, to follow him, to do life with him. There, there's always the invitation. And an invitation warrants a response. There's always a response, guys, to do one of two things. We can either accept the invitation or we can miss it. When, when Jesus calls and invites us to sit at the table, we always have a choice. We can understand what it means to be called by Jesus. This, this God that meets us in our messes. This God that invites us to do life with him. The God that gives us value. I, Levi understood. Levi went after Jesus and never looked back. You see, Levi, he was a pretty big deal in the history of the church. 
in the New Testament, Levi, he went by two names. Levi and Matthew. And the first gospel in our New Testament, it, it bears his name. So Levi, this tax collector, Levi, this outcast, one of the bad guys, was Matthew. Matthew, the disciple of Jesus. Matthew, one of the twelve. Matthew understood what Jesus' call meant. He, he got up from that tax booth, he ran after Jesus, and he never looked back. He left his mess. Because the call is a call to follow. And that call has consequences. Coming to the table, doing life with Jesus, it has consequences. Later in Mark's Gospel, Jesus has some pretty difficult words to say to his disciples. He says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Guys, this is what it means to accept the invitation. You, you deny yourself every day. You take up your cross every day. You, you follow Jesus' example and sacrifice yourself. And in the letter to the Romans, Paul calls it being a living sacrifice. You're, you're called to love unconditionally. To always forgive. You're called to put the needs of others before your own, to be last. You're called to serve people, all people, even if you don't like them, to serve them with your time and, and your resources, with, with your life. You're called to follow Jesus and give your life in service to those around you, to, to live out the gospel every day. And it might be hard it, it might be uncomfortable, it might be inconvenient, but Jesus promises to lead you every step of the way to help you, to empower you with the Holy Spirit. Guys, remember who you follow. When you leave the table and go out into the world, when you leave these walls to be the church, to be the ecclesia, which in the Greek literally translates to the called out ones, remember who called you. That Jesus is always one step ahead of you, guiding you, telling you to take the next step, inviting you in more, urging you on. And, and, and when it's difficult, when it's finally time to have that conversation you've been avoiding, or to do that thing that you, you really don't want to do, or when the unexpected troubles of life seem to knock you on your back, remember that Jesus promises to be there to lead you, and, and to bring his peace and, and his presence, not necessarily happiness, but fullness of joy. The abundant life that begins right now. The, the eternal life that is so much bigger than what we do here on a Sunday morning. We can all respond to that invitation. Or we can ignore it. We can miss it. We can miss Jesus. Remember, there's another group of characters in this story. Mark mentions them at the end. He says, When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, 
they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The scribes didn't get it. They didn't understand the mess that they were in. They, they thought that they were okay. They didn't think they needed any help. They, they let their own pride and their own achievements, their own religiosity get in the way. They cared too much about the social totem pole. They, they didn't want to associate with the people that were lower than them. And they missed it. They missed him. They, they missed Jesus. They missed this Jesus that calls to us. And guys, we can't miss it. No matter what you're going through. No matter what mess you may be in, I know that I have no idea what it's like. But Jesus does. And he is calling each of us. He is calling us out of the chaos and to the table. And we need to sit down. Because we have a God who came for us. A God who came for the sick. A God who came for the sinners to call them to repentance. He came for the outcasts. He came for you and me. And, and he meets us in our messes. He is risen and he is here right now. Inviting us to do life with him. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we have regrets. Life, life can be hard. Things will get messy. Every day, we seem to have the same struggles, and the same fears, and the same worries, and the same doubts, the, the same sins. It's the same us. But there's good news. Because every day, there is the same call and the same invitation, the same gospel, the same grace, the same forgiveness, the same cross, the same empty tomb, the same Jesus. The table is always open. And there's always a seat waiting for you. So in the coming moments, we're all going to have a chance to respond. The band's going to come back up, and they're going to start setting back up for this last little bit of the service. But as we're finishing up, I want to give people a chance to respond to this call, to, to respond to this invitation. You'll see four tables around the room with the communion elements on them, with, with this bread that represents his body, and, and this juice that, that, that represents his blood. These elements that remind us what the invitation costs. That Jesus sacrificed his very life so that us, you and I, could have a seat at the table. And if you have questions about that, if you're unsure about who this Jesus is, I'd encourage you to come to the front, go to the cross, and talk to Craig. He would, he would love to, to meet with you. Start that conversation. Because there's a couple ways we're going to respond to the invitation over the next few moments. If, if you're not sure why you're here, if you're not sure who this Jesus is, I, I'd ask you to hang back and to pray, to, to ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Ask God to show up. And if you've met this Jesus, if you've tasted this grace, if you've tasted this forgiveness, I invite you to come to the table to feast, and to celebrate, and, and, and remember when, 
the band starts playing, re respond to the invitation any way you see fit. If, if you want to sing, sing. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to sit or stand or kneel, it doesn't matter. If, if you want to come to the table and grab the elements, come. I'll just ask that when you do, be respectful of what's going on around you and try to come in through either this center aisle or those outer aisles and then walk back down these two aisles right here. And when you have your elements, take them back to your seat and, and, and hang on to them. Don't eat them yet. And we'll come back in a little bit and, and we'll take them together as one corporate body. Well, I'm pleading my innocence here, exposing my arrogance all the while, and I'm hoping that nobody sees, especially you. And I've yielded to all that has cost me, and thrown to the side what is free. And I'm lying when I say that I figured it out. Oh, but maybe this time the bread and the wine will be more than food on my lips. Tasting forgiveness. Drinking mercy, I feast on redemption. I'll taste in forgiveness. I'll taste in forgiveness. Oh, I'm drinking mercy as a feast on redemption. Taste in forgiveness. Oh, I'm pleading my innocence here. Oh, exposing my arrogance all the while. And I'm hoping that nobody sees, especially you. And I've yielded to all that's cost me. And thrown to the side what is free. And I'm lying when I say that I, I figured it out. Oh, but maybe this time the bread and the wine will be more than food on my lips. I'm tasting forgiveness. I'm drinking mercy. I feast on redemption. Oh, I'm tasting forgiveness. Tasting forgiveness. Drinking mercy. I feast on redemption. Taste in forgiveness. 
There's, a, there's something great about being a family, right? About being here at Princeton Community Church. This local manifestation of, of God's universal church. And what I love about communion is that it unites us with believers around the world. That, that around the globe, Christians are, are doing this. They're taking the bread and, and the cup. And they're remembering the cross. They're remembering the new life that is found in Christ. And that's what we're doing. That's how we're worshiping in these moments. And in some crazy, weird, bizarre way that I'll never be able to understand, this act unites us with all the saints of old, with every Christ follower that has gone before us from all of us here at Princeton Community Church all the way back to those 12 men who sat at the table with their Lord the night he broke the bread and he gave it to them and he said, take, eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me Taste and forgiveness, exposing the mercy. Why don't you go ahead and do that? All right. I will. I will. Speaking of meeting us in our messes, welcome. (laughs) That was planned. That was a planned mess. Um, So, the great thing, the crazy thing is, is that Levi, he was at that meal. He was at that special dinner. He was at that Last Supper. And I like to think that as he sat there with Jesus, he remembered back to the first meal that they shared together. The meal that changed everything. The meal that that brought him out of the chaos and, and into eternal life. Because on that night, Jesus Christ, he took the cup and he gave it to them. And he said, drink all of you. This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for many. Do this in remembrance of me. Guys, his blood was shed for you. So as the people of God, take, drink. Together, let's remember our risen Lord. Tasting forgiveness Drinking of mercy A feast on redemption Tasting forgiveness Tasting forgiveness Drinking of mercy Feast on redemption, tasting forgiveness.
You all go in peace. And as you go, remember the God that called you. Thanks for being here. Amen.